This production is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh. discusses the question whether or not we really experience, whether we experience causation. And he has this uh, famous example, just imagine a billiard table and two balls, billiard balls on it, and then you see the one billiard ball running towards the other one, hitting, and then the other one moving. And now the question is, it seems obvious that the one that hit, that the first one that hit the other one caused the second one to move. But why is it obvious? Did we actually experience the causing? And Hume says, well, if you, if you really examine your experience, there's nothing in the experience that, tells, that shows you that there was this causation. You don't experience a, a necessary connection. There's no experience of necessary connection. All you do experience is a conjunction. You experience a conjunction between the one ball uh, hitting the other one and the other one moving after it has been hit by the first one. So that's all there is. All there is uh, to experiencing causation is not experiencing a necessary connection, but a conjunction. So is this true for all causation? Well, let's assume... Intuitively, there might be at least one thing um, that might maybe help us to get a, get a grip on the experience of necessary connection. Perhaps it's true that we do not experience necessary connection in the external world, but uh, perhaps we just uh, infer by analogy that there must be necessary connection in the billiard ball case, because there is one thing where it seems we do experience causation. That's at least intuitively the case. Intuitively it is the case that we do experience causation, you might think, when we cause our limbs to move, when we act out of our own free will, when we mentally cause uh, something to happen. So um, here is a fa very famous proof of free will. Uh, and somebody who believes that this is a good proof of free will is John Searle here. Uh, and he's, it looks like he's proving to Dave Chalmers, another philosopher here, that he has free will by doing this. I can do this, and if I want to do it, it happens. So it seems like he, doesn't he in that situation have an experience of necessary <coughs> connection? He wants his arm to move, and yo and behold, it happens. Isn't that exactly what we were looking for? A case where we experience our will causing our arm to move. But it's nice that it's Dave Chalmers sitting next to him, uh, and who is it proving to? Uh, does he, Dave might ask, because he's a specialist on experience, have a, a causation, while doing it, a causation experience, that is. Do you really, even if it's true, 
that you can, if it were possible, that, that you, the movement of your arm does follow your um, wanting to uh, lift your arm, your willing your arm to lift, do you really experience causation? You experience thinking, I'm going to lift my arm now. And you experience that your arm lifts. But do you experience causation? Do you experience the way, the means by which the thought, I want to lift my arm now, lifts your arm? And Hume says, no, you do not experience any such thing at all. All you experience, again, is the constant conjunction. You know that it's the case if you think, I want to lift my arm now, that your arm will lift. But you do not know, and in fact, says Hume, you cannot know. You are so far from knowing, uh, you couldn't be any further from knowing. It must forever escape our most diligent inquiry how, how the, the thought that you want to lift your arm actually lifts your arm. So Hume claims there is no causation experience. Even in this case, all you have is constant conjunction. So yeah, well I said this already, here's Hume's quote. Uh, all we know is, when, when, and he says, when one particular species of event has always in all instances been conjoined with another, we make no longer any scruple of foretelling one upon the appearance of the other. So this is, in all cases, how we get to the, to, the, uh, to the knowledge that something causes something else. We know it because we experience them one after another. And that's all there is. There is not an experience of the causing. There's not an experience, a qualitative experience of causation. Just conjunction. Or sometimes not. Or sometimes not. <laughs> right. Um, so, here are the uh, most important points again. Uh, Hume, in the inquiry, wonders whether there is an experience of causation. He says, well, there isn't, if you look closer in the billiard ball case. We have an intuition that um, the will might be special. The will might be different to the billiard ball case because somehow we have maybe a privileged access uh, to our mind. Whatever he speculates that there is a, that, that intuitively uh, this might be a special case, but then when you look at it more closely, there isn't. There isn't. It, it isn't different to the billiard ball case. It's exactly the same. They're exactly the same problem. Again, we see just uh, events being conjoined. We do not see uh, anything like a necessary connection. Using the right side, though. It's the one on the left, the little. That one. That one, yeah. No. So this is Hume, and here is what Daniel Wegner, a contemporary psychologist, who's written a very provocative book called *The Illusion of Conscious uh, of Conscious Will*, um, and he uses Hume and his idea about mental causation in order to introduce his claim to show that our conscious will is an illusion. And he uses the observation that, exactly this observation, that we do not really experience mental causation directly, and that all that we do is, when we think that we do have such an experience, is because we make an inference. We make an inference from constant conjun conjunction to causation. And then comes the next step, well, if that is true, then it could be possible that the constant conjunction of conscious thought and action does not describe the real causal story. And the real causal story might look like that. This is Wegner's idea of how conscious, what conscious uh, will does uh, and how we actually cause our action. So, according to Wegner, there is somewhere in our cognitive economy, an unconscious cause of an action. This unconscious cause of action produces 
uh, an unconscious cause of thought. This unconscious cause of thought produces a thought, a conscious thought. And at the same time, this unconscious cause of the action produces actually an action. But because the unconscious thought is the cause of both the conscious thought and the action, they are always conjoined. So the thought always precedes the action. It's not the cause of the action. Uh, the unconscious cause is the cause of the action. But because the two are conjoined, always happen together, uh, we infer that it must have been the conscious thought. We think, ah, oh, I just thought duck, uh, and then I stop my uh, mouse cursor on duck, as he, as he does it in a, in a famous experiment. Or, in, in, a, in, in, a, in a lovely example that he has, uh, suppose you are down in the park, and you look at a tree limb, and you think, ah, that could move to the left now. And it does. And you think, ah, well, no, it could move to the right. And it does. After a very short time weaknesses, you would have the feeling, yeah, I'm causing this. I'm causing this. You try again and again. And if, if that continued, you would have a very strong sense of, I'm causing this. If three uh, principles are fulfilled, uh, one thing that's important is uh, you have the idea first. It's, you have to think, I'm causing this, and then it moves, rather than it moves, and you think, oh, I'm causing this. That's not quite as convincing to get, to get the illusion going. Um, it has to be consistent, so you have to think, ah, oh, it's going to move to the left, and then it has to move to the left rather than to the right. So that has to fit, and thirdly, it has to be exclusive. If you think, tree limb move to the left, and then somebody moves it to the left, then uh, it's nice that, uh, you, that, they look, that, you, that you are in line uh, with the movement of the limb, but you've got a very good, a different causal explanation, and you take that because it's uh, one that you're more familiar with. But if those three things are given, then you experience uh, yourself as the cause, simply because they are uh, the, the idea and the event in the world are conjoined in this way. So, uh, if if these three principles hold, then we get exactly this. There might be an unconscious cause of an action, uh, and because this unconscious cause of the action produces the thought, it produces it before the action. It's consistent with the action, because the, it's the, the unconscious cause of the action produces a consistent thought. Uh, and in this case, it's unlikely that you'll uh, perceive another obvious cause. That's the only thing that you've got, is your idea. So you think, you don't perceive the real cause. You don't perceive the real cause. That's deep down in your uh, functional machinery. The only thing that you do perceive is the thought. The two are connected. Um, and then you think, ah, it must have been me. It must have been my thought causing my action. But now, this is a story one could tell. But why should we believe it? You might think, well, yeah, possibly well, that is a possible story. But do we have any good reason to believe that anything like that is true? Why not think that in, in a good human spirit, uh, we have the idea, and afterwards, whenever I have the idea, I want to lift my arm, yo, behold, the arm lifts. Why not think it was the idea that was actually, it was the conscious thought that was causing the lifting of my hand? Uh, well, if we didn't have any uh, evidence that showed us otherwise, then that would be fine. But we do. We do have lots of psychological evidence, according to Wegner, which shows us that it's not the conscious thought which produces the action. Uh, there is lots of evidence which comes from people uh, before Wegner's work, uh, and then Wagner has, as it were, what he thinks is the crowning study, which shows directly uh, that it is an illusion. 
famously, the, the work by other people he cites as um, Benjamin Libet had in the, in the 80s had a study uh, where he could show that an unconscious brain potential precedes a conscious intention to act. So before you are aware of your intention to act, before you are aware of the I'm going to lift my arm now, half a second earlier, your brain is already preparing the movement. So that fits really nicely with, uh, with, with, with Wegner's picture. It's exactly the idea. Brain has a, there's an unconscious cause of your, of, your, of your action. You're not aware of that. It's just a brain potential. And the brain uh, potential will cause the action, but at the same time, it causes half a second later, and still 300 milliseconds before you actually move, a conscious intention. And then... This conscious intention is followed by the movement. So you think it was the conscious intention that caused the movement, but actually it could be quite possible that it's the readiness potential, and that the readiness potential causes the uh, action directly without needing uh, to involve the uh, conscious experience uh, of the, the conscious intention. Um, but there are as well lots of data from social psychology <coughs> research. One, I think a particularly lovely one, is a study which has been done in Lund in Sweden uh, by Johan Sinatar, and that's, uh, it has become, uh, it's called, no, sorry, it's called uh, choice blindness, uh, and what they did in this, in this particular study is they give you these two, they show you these two pictures of these two women. Sometimes uh, it's even uh, people of different gender, people with glasses and no glasses, I think that's the case. Anyway, sometimes it's people who are very obviously uh, different looking, different hair colour, etc. Uh, I mean, even here, these people are not very similar. Uh, and then they ask you to make a choice. You um, tell me which of these people is the more attractive one. And then, after that, you make your choice, and then they give you the photo person you've chosen, and you are supposed to rate the reasons. Why did you make this choice? Why do you think this woman is more attractive than the other one? The manipulation is that the guy who's doing the experiment is actually not a scientist, but a trained magician. And what the trained magician does is he lets you make your decision, he lets you make your choice, and then he gives you the other one. And people don't notice this. They then proceed to give reasons why they make this choice, even though it wasn't the choice that they made. Now, you'd think, if it was the case that this choice really um, was responsible for their action, this conscious choice, then that they should be then able uh, to... That then they should, should, should notice um, uh, that they've been tricked... The reasons should be available, they should know why they made the choice, and they should always get this, but they don't. They seem to confabulate. They seem to think, oh, well, I've chosen this one. Clearly, I've chosen this one, because that's the one that I'm, that I'm given. Um, so uh, let's make up, let's give reasons for why I thought uh, this person might be more attractive. Um, Evidence like that is legion, especially studies by hundreds of studies run by John Barge, which seem to show that you um, that you're not aware about why you uh, about millions of things that you do. For example, you could show that uh, your walking speed to the elevator is decided by unconscious reasons. But as well, how do you, how well you do an exam? Uh, in an exam, is decided by uh, what texts you read before. So if you read a text about a football hooligan, you will do worse in an exam than if you read an exam about a university professor before you do the text. Uh, and, and it's not even about a university professor and a football hooligan. It's, it's a text which has words which are connected to the word field football hooligan and words which ha are connected to the word field university professor, which uh, make you perform differently in, 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 in the uh, cognitive task. So... Overall, Wegner says, there is an abundance of evidence by now 
That seems to show that most of what we do is caused by stuff which we are not aware of. It's caused by parts of the machinery uh, which we have no access to. And what we do consciously is simply tell a story. We make it up as we go along because sometimes uh, this unconscious machinery produces conscious thoughts and we then just find, ah, oh, well, that's in line with what I'm doing, so it must have been that which is producing the behaviour. But we are mistaken. The real causes are not accessible to consciousness. Wegner's own contribution to this is the I-Spy study, and here he directly, directly tests the idea of, well, suppose that conscious will really, that there was uh, a, a, an experience of causation, then we shouldn't be able to trick that, that particular experience. I shouldn't be able to be wrong about whether I willed something or not. Anyway, I said, well, you know, exactly, you can be wrong about that. You will say, I willed this, even though you didn't. And how does it work? Well, he, uh, basically, there's a mouse which two people control together, and what they do is they've got a screen, and on the screen there are lots of objects, and they move the cursor across the screen. Um, and they're wearing headphones at the same time, and over the headphone they hear uh, music interspersed with words. Now sometimes these words refer to items on the screen. And then, after a 30 second period, uh, you get a short break and you still move your hands and then end within the next 20 seconds. You're supposed to stop the cursor on a particular item. Now, if there is no manipulation, if uh, the confederate, because only one of these two people is, is, is the experimental subject, the other one is confederate, suppose the confederate just does nothing, just doesn't influence the movement, just is completely passive, then this has, hearing the word, has no influence on where you stop. So it's clearly not the case that if you just hear the word, it will make you stop. You just think, ah, oh, duck, why not stop a duck? But in the experimental condition, what the uh, confederate does is they make you stop. They make you stop on duck, let's say. And what Wegner found is that afterwards, people will rate those stops on duck as more considerably more voluntary than uh, the, the, if, if the confederate uh, had stopped them, uh, forced them to stop on something else. So even though you haven't stopped voluntarily on duck, because as we've seen in the control study, uh, just hearing the word duck doesn't make you stop on duck, at least statistically not, uh, if you uh, give, if you have the, in, in, the, in the experimental condition, simply having heard duck makes you rate your behavior as voluntary, even though it was not. It was not voluntary, it was forced by the confederate, and you still think, ah, yes, I willed a cursor to stop on duck. And that says Wagner, is proof that I can. I can uh, instill in you the experience that you, that you willed something even though you didn't. So there is no... It's, it's obvious that in this case you didn't will it and still simply the conjunction between duck, a conscious thought of duck, and stopping on duck makes you think, feel, experience that you actually did will it. Now, that's the Wagner story. And, uh, as I said, it's built on the Hume idea 
that we do not experience a necessary connection, therefore it's possible to go wrong, and it actually does go wrong. So here is Edinamias, uh, and quite a few philosophers. Some philosophers are really very, <laughs> not very impressed at all with Wegener's uh, use of Hume and say Hume would be spinning in his grave. Edinamias um, isn't quite as critical, but he does make two remarks which he think are, are clearly an abuse of what Hume had to say. <coughs> One, he says, Wagner does not apply Hume's scepticism to the real causes of human action. So Hume obviously doesn't say, look, uh, there is, there, in, in our case, this is an illusion, but in the billiard case, there is a scientific story about causation. And there we have necessary connection. But in, in our case, well, no, 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 there's no necessary connection here. And Hume never talks about real causes. So clearly that seems to be that Wegner has a very special use of uh, Humean language here. Why, if he thinks this is Humean, does he think the same thing about the billiard ball scenario? And it seems he should. And then why is he so confident that he found the real causes? And secondly, even though um, it's possible, according to the Wegener, that the Wegener, the Wegener experiments show that it's possible to fool uh, the system into believing uh, it caused something when in fact it didn't, it was forced to stop rather than uh, actually stopping, that doesn't mean uh, that it's not possible that normally it's actually a valid a valid uh, inference to think ah, there was a thought so I've probably, I probably was the cause of this behaviour. In fact, that looks like this is uh, exactly what Hume recommends. Hume recommends it looks all that we have for causation is conjunction. We never have necessary connection. So, if we do not have very good evidence to the contrary, a constant conjunction uh, that shows us that one uh, constant conjunction is illusory, if we can tell an alternative story, then we have very good reason to believe that this is causation, because it's all that we ever have. Okay. So these are the two reasons why Namius thinks that uh, Wegner doesn't use Hume properly. Now it is true, it's true that Wegner doesn't apply his criticism uh, of uh, conscious will, the illusion of conscious will, to scientific causality. But maybe it's unfair of him... Um, to, to expect or say it's necessary uh, to voice the scepticism. Because even though it is true that Hume says all that we ever have for causality is constant conjunction, and we never experience necessary connection, that doesn't mean that he's as sceptic as to uh, causality using causality in order to understand the world. In fact, he thinks that using science in order to get at what the real cause stories are, where the real proper correlations are, is the best way that we could possibly have. So he, there is a story, uh, Hume says, for example, that uh, miracles are exactly, we shouldn't believe in miracles exactly, exactly because uh, it, it just doesn't seem like we can have the, uh, knowledge from experience uh, about miracles. And just because we can't have uh, possibly knowledge from experience about miracles, there just aren't any miracles. Hume does say science isn't bulletproof. There is no experience. We do not know what exactly causality is. We do not experience it. Uh, but still, using this slightly flawed, well, not, not the best method that we possibly could have, uh, but it's, it's the one that we have. It's the one that we have, and therefore we can trust in causality if we just use the methods that we, uh, that we can get properly. So I'm not sure whether that's 
a fair worry. It's true uh, that Wegener doesn't talk about that. Wegener doesn't talk about the fact that this is, in Hume, it's a more general point. But it's maybe not necessary by Wegener. I'm not sure whether it makes any difference that, that Wegener doesn't emphasize this point. What he does emphasize is, and this is important, is what Hume says, in, uh, in, in fact, really says is, uh, we have a special feeling about mental causation. Intuitively, mental causation is somehow, a, a, we have better access to mental causation than we have to the causation in the case of the billiard balls. We know, we, we seem to be directly there. It, it seems that, that, it's more, that the case is stronger for the idea that we have necessary connection in this case. Uh, and this is exactly what Hume tells, shows you uh, that we, we don't have this better case. And this is how we can start to then say, well, if it's, if it's only conjunction as well, as it is in the case of the billiard balls, <coughs> then it's possible to be wrong. And as it turns out, if you look at the evidence, it is wrong in, a, in, in the case of metricization, even though it might not be wrong in the case of the billiard balls. Now, second point, exceptions. Now, obviously, on Hume's picture, it is quite possible that the will causes our actions. Uh, so, just by uh, referring to Hume's picture, again, Namius is right, that doesn't mean that um, Hume doesn't, doesn't say anything like, uh, we do not cause our actions uh, by our ideas. In fact, it's probably very likely that Hume thought that's exactly what happens. He says we are... And we are conscious of our, um, of our will as causing our, uh, uh, our actions. It's just we do not experience it. Or we do experience this constant conjunction. But constant conjunction, uh, as we know from the billiard ball case, is all that we can have. So it's good enough. There's no special, there's nothing special about our mental causation. But uh, that doesn't mean that it couldn't be causation. And so, if, as we do have the constant conjunction, we have a very good reason for thinking uh, that ideas actually do, conscious intentions and ideas do cause our actions. And Wegener does make the stronger claim, that's true as well, uh, that uh, our conscious intentions are not the cause of our actions. But again, true, so it's true and in that respect, Wagner is not in complete agreement with Hume, but I'm not sure whether the point is a terribly strong one to say that Wagner actually is in disagreement with Hume. All it's saying uh, is that, well, Hume might think, or did, might, have, might have thought at the time, that it's quite likely uh, that intentions cause actions, because he just didn't know better. better. He didn't have the science available, which Wagner has available. And Wegner has a science available where he can just show, look, we've got, we've got an error here because the constant conjunction which we observe between A and B is actually caused by a third, an invisible variable, which we do not see, the unconscious cause of the action. And the, but now, now we've got the science, we can point out that there is this unconscious cause of the action. And that, that's actually doing the real causal work. That's where the, real conjun where, where the conjunction is a lot more regularly because you can get the two, you can, um, you can get the, you can dissociate the two. So you can, for example, create uh, the intention without the conscious intention, the conscious thought, without having the unconscious um, uh, cause of the action. And then you'll, you'll see that in, in that case, you have the experience of causing, you have the experience of, aha, I must have done that, even though you didn't. So uh, you can dissociate the two. So again, yeah, it, it's true that uh, Wagner is, doesn't quite say what Hume says, but I'm not sure whether the two worldviews aren't compatible. Final point. I think the only way where I could make out where I think there seems to be a difference, I'm not absolutely sure whether I believe my own point here, uh, because, for a start, I'm not sure in either case exactly what um, Wegener and Hume are saying. Uh, but it seems, there, seems to be, that there is a difference in what Hume and Wegener are saying about the nature of the experience. 
So Hume says, intuitively we say, um, we've got an experience of, uh, we, we, we know that we are mental causes, that we can cause our, our arms to move, and we, we experience this. But then, just closer phenomenological analysis, we just have to look closer at our own experience. And we realize we do not experience such a thing. There's nothing in the experience itself which gives you necessary connection. So, according to Hume, all you need is decent phenomenological analysis. You don't need science. You don't need science in order to understand that there isn't this necessary connection thing going on. So, in a way, there is no illusion. There is no illusion in the sense that there isn't really an experience. We make this, we make this mistake, but it's a mistaken inference. The inference is mistaken, but the experience, if you look at the experience properly, the experience actually doesn't tell you that there is necessary connection. It tells you that all there is is conjunction. And it seems that Wagner is saying something else. It seems that Wagner is saying that there is an inference, but the inference is not one that you consciously make. That's just one, an inference that the system makes. And because of that mistaken inference, you do experience necessary connection. And because you do experience necessary connection, there is a mistaken experience. There is an illusion. You experience causation where there isn't one. I'm, in, in, in most cases, I'm not absolutely sure uh, whether we have to say that um, Hume says there is no experience of necessary connection. Because he does say it feels like necessary connection um, and, and, in places. But on the whole, given that he does talk about phenomenological analysis, it, it looks like what I, I interpret this, and I'm not sure whether I'm right about this, uh, as meaning that um, what he means when he says it feels as if there are necessary connection, uh, that we make this, uh, this, this mistaken inference. Whereas if you look at the experience properly, you see there isn't any such experience. And in Wagner's case, again, it's not absolutely... I'm, I'm not absolutely sure whether he's committed to saying there is an experience of causation. Um, and if Wagner does say that there is an experience of causation, an illusory uh, experience uh, of causation, then... Uh, it would be interesting to know what Wagner has to say about uh, the experience of causation in the billiard ball case. So whether he thinks that this is a standard phenomenon, in which case he makes a lot of it in, in, the, in the mental case. He should then say, look, this is, this is always what we've got. Because in which case, it would always be an illusory experience of causation. Uh, because obviously in the billiard ball case, there isn't necessary connection. If it's necessary connection that he's after. That doesn't exist in the billiard ball case either. Uh, but we, you might think, well, in the billiard ball case, like in the, um, like in the mental, uh, in the mental case, we, you might think that there is an experience uh, of causation, and in which case, it would be illusory insofar as we do not experience necessary connection at all. Yes. So, uh, to sum up, basically, I think. It's, it is, it's fair enough to say that uh, Wagner does deviate from Hume, uh, but I'm not sure whether I agree that the disagreements are so major uh, that one would have to say it's an Ill illegitimate use of Hume. I think it's fair enough, uh, or a good, the, the, the thought uh, about uh, that, Mental causation is special, uh, uh, intuitively special, in that we can, but if we look closer, we can show that this intuitive specialness is illusory. It's something that you do find in Hume, and it's exactly this point which Wagner uses and needs to get off uh, to make his own points in the illusion of conscious will. Thank you.
Okay, so we've got a little bit of time for questions. I'll, maybe I should sort of field them. Okay. Does uh, Wagner actually mention Hume? He's not in the index. He does mention. Yeah, no, no, no. He starts. He starts off. Yeah, he should be in the index. Which in which? which what, 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 are you talking about the the book or the yes, the article? Uh, no, he starts off in um, in the section which is from the article apparent mental causation. Uh, he talks about uh, he introduces his ideas about uh, association by using Q. And um, so I can't I can't give you the page numbers, but it but it's there. Ah, it would seem that to me that that perhaps is a mistake on his part because um, he would surely be in a much better position if he said that in the billiard ball case we are conscious of causation and that um, as you were rather getting towards the end um, in the experience of free will uh, we have an experience of causation and it is that which is an illusion yeah well I think the the uh uh, as, as, I, as I said, I think what I think is the, is the legitimate use of Hume is that Hume um, does structure his argumentation in the inquiry in exactly the way which, which is useful for Wagner. He says, well, look, there's the billiard ball case, and the billiard ball case, after looking a bit more closely, everybody will accept that there is only conjunction and not connection. Uh, but we do have a stronger intuition in the in the mental case, and it's I think it's it's that uh, which Wagner uses, uh, which which is crucial for him. But in the in this mental case, we have this we we see what you might think that we have a better a better argument uh, for assuming that there is necessary connection. And Hume points out now it might be if you look at it in the mental case, it's actually nothing else. It's conjunction. Uh, and because of this, because it is only that, it's possible that it's wrong. So it, they, uh, using Hume, uh, you get a scenario where where um, it can go wrong, and that and, and that is then where where Wegner can step in and look. And if you look more closely, it actually does go wrong. But uh, Wegner surely has sufficient evidence, um, scientific evidence, to say that. It goes wrong, yeah. and it would be much better to say that uh, what goes wrong is this experience of causation. Yes. Rather than um, there's, uh, that there is no experience of causation, as you suggest. Right. So, uh, well, so the true. Uh, but you, what you, you can make the point that uh, if, you, if you accept Hume's analysis, uh, what Wegener needs is that Hume's analysis is insofar correct as that it is possible uh, that uh, mental causation can go wrong, they, that there is no real uh, connection, there is no necessary connection, uh, which it might just be, you might just think that it's simply from experience we can know that there is necessary connection. And then the science wouldn't matter anymore. So, I guess, in, in that respect, it's useful to use you. You mentioned in passing, and on the diagram, you talked about unconscious intention. Does that not automatically raise the question of what causes unconscious intention? Is it not a kind of infinite regress? Or aren't you in danger of that? Well, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, uh, sure there are causes uh, of of the unconscious intention. So there's a functional story. There's there's nowhere. There's no first cause, as it were. Uh, but you might still think that there is a specific state which merits a specific functional description, and that could be the unconscious intention. Obviously, the unconscious intention has causes, uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't such a functional state. The important part is, and I think this, people um, uh, tend to get mi mix this up, is that there, it's not necessarily the case that, well, Wegner is not saying the conscious intention is, as it were, just above an epiphenomenon uh, on, on 
uh, a, a non-physical um, state above the physical state, which is the unconscious intention. But you might think that there is another physical state which equals the conscious intention. So there is a, let's say, you might think in a functional architecture, there is a, a, a state that's globally broadcast. But it's not that, it's not that state uh, that is doing the causing. It's, it's a precursor of that state, which causes this, this functional state that makes it conscious, but at the same time causes the action. And then you don't need to be a dualist. Many people have accused Wegener of being a dualist uh, because he thinks the real cause is the unconscious one. But you, you might think the cause of the story goes through uh, the, 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 the conscious state. If that were the case, then uh, the conscious state would be a cause in exactly the same way, in a, in exactly the same way than the unconscious cause is a cause. It's not a first cause. We're not talking first causes. What we're talking whether whether something has causal power for producing the desired result at all. And according to Wegener, the conscious intention doesn't. The conscious intention just doesn't have any anything to do with the production of the action. For that, it, it's, it's allowed to be something harmless, like a physical state. It doesn't have to be a mental, um, uh, a, 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 a eerily mental state. So I guess I wondered if it's worth thinking about any other kinds of case. So. Um you know, suppose that I see a, a, a vase, and I perceive the vase, or I, at least I judge the vase to be valuable. So there are some sort of surface properties, and I, I kind of, you know, I can't the idea, okay, that's, that's a valuable vase. Um, I could be wrong about that, you know, sometimes those, the surface properties will mislead me, and that seems to be clearly the case um, in the, the Wegener experiment, kind of shows that we can sometimes pick up on surface properties, make the inference, and be wrong. But still, in the case of the bars, it, would, it still seems perfectly reasonable to think that sometimes the inference goes right, and, and I'm justified in inferring that that is a valuable bars on the basis of those surface properties. What's the difference with the, the case of... Um, well, there isn't the a difference. There, there isn't a difference, and I think Wagner would agree to that. I don't think he, he says that um, just because we can tell that story, it's impossible uh, that... Um, intentions could be causes, uh, but he says, well, look at the evidence. And so the, then, the, the, then the idea is not, not just my eyes by evidence, but look at the massive amount that we get from social psychology, from neurophysiology, etc. And, he, he, and there, in all these cases, he would claim it looks as if uh, there is no causal link from uh, the, the, the surface property to the behavior. Have we been in surface properties here? The surface properties, what? The conscious intention. Okay. Well, so in, in the case of the vase, so I'm not sure whether the vase example works. Sorry. But because in the vase example, are you saying this is, it's the same state, which is, is con, well, that it has a, one property of it is it's being conscious, so, and that is what it, what's not doing the work, and another property is one that we're, no, well, 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 so I'm not sure whether I get the last example. As it were, inference is involved in all of our perceptions, whether right. it's a perception of a red surface or yeah. an action that's being caused for that matter. Yeah. So there's a kind of interior perception, and it involves inference, and there are exterior perceptions, and they involve inference too. Yeah. And I think it's true that because there's inference involved, there's yeah. a kind of, you know, there, there's a kind of gap. You know, we could be yeah. wrong about the thing that we've inferred. To. Yeah. Um, it's just not obvious to me that any of the results that Degner's drawing on or anyone else makes more of a problem for the inference to it was my intention that did this rather than well, the, but this is, I this, guess it's, it's right. a, it's this, this is, bit that this, this, this is exactly the way so I, I, I'm, I think this is the same point again so Wegner thinks that there is lots of evidence looking at the social psychology literature and looking at uh, the other empirical literature which um, hints at that the conscious intention never does do any work. So it's, it's, it, the, he, uh, he doesn't say, this is not a legitimate inference. The conjunction is fine. It's just that in this case, we now have a story where the conjunction is a lot more scientifically stable, and we can dissociate the two. And because we can dissociate the two, we know about the hidden variable, the unconscious cause, and the unconscious cause just holds. Uh, th there we have a story about 
uh, how that's connect conjunctive uh, with, the, with the action. Uh, whereas if we look closer, then in the conscious case, um, sometimes it, it, this isn't the case. Uh, and it's, it's clearly not causal because we now know, we now know the real causal story. So I'll follow it up with just, just, just one thing. So, so the kind of the evidence there that, that, that sort of suggests, okay, that's um, we're kind of missing the real story, sort of assumes that if the conscious intention is going to be a cause, then the conscious intention has to be realized in a, in a sort of a, a short time slice that starts at the same time as the conscious experience starts. But suppose you thought that your, as it were, your conscious intention to do so-and-so can be realized in a, a neural time slice that actually reaches yeah. back before yeah. the start, All right. the onset of your yeah. conscious experience. Wegner does actually talk about that. Um, and he says, yes, uh, that's, that's possible, uh, and I allow for that. Uh, so I haven't excluded plans. That, that's the, the idea. We're, and we have a conscious plan, we have a distal intention, uh, we form that conscious, but we, we thought about it at some point, form the intention, and then, so oh, maybe I'm not getting It's you. not quite the same issue for... for, for Okay, so in, in that case, says Wegner, well, yeah, that's fine. That, that might still be possible. Uh, but we have a strong intuition. Maybe that's not a good intuition, but that's some that we, where we do have to be revisionary, uh, that an intention is not quite enough. There needs to be, and this is now folk psychological, an, an act of will, a kind of a, a translating, a conscious translating of the distal intention into a proximal intention. So we need a proximal, int uh, uh, the, the distal, we have to plan, uh, I want to, and I think this is where, where it might matter, for example, I want to shoot somebody, uh, and that's bad, but it's not, uh, you, you've not done anything bad yet. You've made a plan, and you wouldn't go to jail for just thinking I want to shoot somebody. But if you form the proximal intention uh, I'm going to shoot this person now. And from that, that now, from that moment on, you're trying. Uh, and you're actually putting your plan into action. And then even if you're not succeeding, you're guilty. Of, you're, you're, you're now attempting to act. And, that's, and this, this, I think that, that this kind of intuition, and that's the difference between those two, is what Wagner is getting at, that in order to have a, uh, that, that proximal intention, that conscious proximal intention doesn't exist, well it doesn't have any causal force, uh, and that therefore that picture that we can go direct, that we can put an intermediate step between the conscious plan and the decision to act now is illusory. You came up with a, in your last example with the interesting problem of moral responsibility mm -hmm. and I wonder, but I don't know whether, mm -hmm. only vaguely, but does he speak about the consequences of his theory for our, you could say, full concept of moral responsibility. Because it seems to me that if he would belong to a sort of class of scientific philosophers who defend, or psychologists who defend the sort of idea that our, moral, our free will is an illusion, therefore our moral responsibility should be revised in one way or another, or a concept of moral responsibility should be revised. I don't think that is what Hume is after. No, no he isn't either. Mm -hmm. um, Wegner then comes up with a compatibilist story, or um, waves at compatibilism and says uh, that that's a story uh, which can still be told. But for that, we don't. We might not need the act of will. We might not need the conscious, uh, the conscious intention, uh, doing the causing. So what we need is something like what Derrida calls evitability. We need systems which are able to, uh, the system, not the conscious intention, are able to avoid. Uh, doing stuff given the right circumstances. So systems that are cognitively more sophisticated are the ones that we can call responsible systems. So Wegner doesn't make the big step from um, saying conscious will, Wegner style is an illusion to saying there is no free will. There are people out there in, 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 the, in the empirical literature who make just this step and say, well, that, that showing that conscious will is an illusion in this way uh, means that free will is an illusion. Libet for one, I mean, he, didn't, he, he believed that if he didn't find a solution um, to his experimental problems, then he would have shown that there is no free will. He then comes up 
was the idea that there is a conscious veto, that there's time, that because the, uh, the conscious intention is uh, 300 milliseconds before the action, there would still be time for a veto between, a conscious veto um, to stop the action. So according to Libin, we have free vote, but not free will. So <laughs> um, but it, Wegner doesn't, doesn't make any, he, he's philosophically more savvy than Libet and uh, is, is, there, is, is more careful there. That last bit sounds a bit of a cop-out, doesn't it? Because, I mean, presumably a conscious veto would have a preceding mm -hmm. yes. unconscious yeah. yes. uh, veto. People, people are extraordinarily attached to the idea of free will, aren't they? I, mean, I was talking to someone this morning and explaining I was coming to this lecture, which involved... Uh, you know, the illusion of conscious will. And I expressed my own belief that I don't believe in free will. And she said, well, what do you believe then? And I said, well, every action or decision we make must be determined by a host of other things that have happened previously that we're not conscious of. She said, oh, you're making me really depressed now. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that expresses neatly that people are very upset if they come to think that actions are predetermined in right. that way and that they don't actually have this agency that they yeah. which I also think is an illusion mm -hmm. uh, that they are actually making choices yeah. note though that again this is not necessary Wegner does not, is not committed yep. at all to saying that there is no free will because obviously in, in, in the philosophical discourse uh, there are quite a few people, well the majority of I would still think of, of philosophers uh, are of the opinion that uh, determinism and, and free will are compatible. So it's, it's, it's yes, okay. Yes, I find that hard to understand. But. <laughs> so yes, uh, so if, if you're a compatibilist, then uh, you that that the, the, the sheer fact that uh, that um, your decisions are determined do not mean that they they can't be free. So uh, Wagner is uh, could could easily be in the compatibilist camp. In fact, I think he is. Again, unlike quite a few others who do think that um, if their results bear out and can be more generalised than they've shown. This may be an extraordinarily stupid question because I really don't know too much of the background behind this. I'm kind of vaguely aware of all this 300 millisecond stuff. But I haven't read anything and so I'm really out of my depth here. But what I'm thinking about it just now, when we think about intentions or even anything that went through, like I'm speaking just now, the what I can see is the, for instance, if you're if you're if you're saying something or and you're kind of articulating, there is there is a small gap, as it were, between knowing you have something to say and articulating, and so. <laughs> It's as though, as it were, there's the, there's the intention, but the, as it were, the formation of that intention, knowing what it is, as it were, verbally, or, or in, in something which is kind of taken form, there is a gap in time. Now, it's very, very, it's a tiny, and that's just my own experience. I can see that it's a, it's, it's a perceptible gap. And, and we're talking about such minute amounts of time when we talk about 300 milliseconds. Therefore, how this business of measuring uh, sort of when conscious intention, because it seemed to me that would have to take into account yeah, this, very, yes. this, this gap yes. of, as it were, yeah. sensing and, and yeah. some sort of intention is there and seeing what the intention is. I think this is a very good point. I, well, it's a very good point that has been discussed actually quite a lot. Right, sorry. Whether that, whether the, no, no, no. I, I, yeah. I, so whether or not there, there is a problem with that. So Libet has, has his own answer to this, uh, which is he says our, our timing of the actual event is incredibly good if we talk about external stimuli. Um, if you, for example, ask somebody to uh, time a stimulus like that, they're doing that uh, incredibly well. So we're talking about 70 milliseconds off and actually in the other direction. So, they're, 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 so it, it's definitely a very small time scale. So the time scale uh, for the conscious, the, the conscious intention and the retinous potential is still pretty big. Um, 
So it doesn't explain, Libet says it doesn't explain everything. There's a lot to be said about that reply, again, and people were worried about that reply. But I think the, the best um, point to make Libet's worry stronger is to say, yes, maybe in the Libet scenario um, we have to worry, but there, there are recent experiments uh, done by John Dylan Haynes in uh, Leipzig, uh, and he has uh, used fMRI, uh, and he gets 10 seconds. So he, this is not the readiness potential, but he can predict 10 seconds before you know that you're going to act um, either left or right in this case, whether you're going to go left or right. Now, again, there's lots to be said about this experiment. Uh, he doesn't get up to 100%, nowhere close, but uh, he gets, in certain individuals, uh, consistently over 80%. So he gets to uh, predictability. He can predict 10, sec 10 seconds before you consciously decide to press left or right. He can tell you what you're going to do. So um, that would indicate that it's not just... Um, the, the, a problem of time. It's a bit scary, though. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> processing it. <laughs> I think you know one of the one of the things that comes out of this is that um, if we're going to have free will, which you know, even in that deterministic sense, I'm a compatibilist like uh, like Phil, I think um, you know we shouldn't think that it's as it were the conscious experience that has to be the the sort of the the most proximal determinant of the, the thing that happens. Uh, the idea that if it's going to be an act of my own free will, it's got to be the conscious um, the conscious sort of epiphenomenon, if you like, that is doing the pushing. That Maybe that's the thing that this all this sort of work suggests that maybe we yes. should just give up and think, okay, yeah. you know, we can, be, we can have free will, we can have determinism. You just can't quite have consciousness, the conscious experience itself doing the pushing. But if conscious will is an illusion, how can will be free? Well, again, there are thousands well, of answers. Only if you answers. think it doesn't have to be conscious in order to be yeah. free. Yeah. But it might, you know, it's, it's complexity. Basically, that, that's, well, it's one of the answers. There are many answers of what exactly it is, what exactly you need to have in order to have a free will. But one answer might just be, Look, there are there are complex systems which can understand things which other which more simple systems can't understand, and because they can understand a whole host of counterfactual counterfactuals, for example, um, we can make them responsible uh, for their actions because they should be able uh, to know how to avoid them. Uh, in a way, that's something that's directly pushed, as it were, uh, by a more simple cognitive architecture. The, the, from the simple system, we can't expect that it learns uh, to avoid certain um, certain behaviours because it just doesn't doesn't have the means to learn. Whereas uh, a more complex architecture does. That might be not satisfactory if we're wedded to old uh, incompatibilist free will ideas. But it's one way of saying, in 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 in, in this way, we can make sense of. Uh, the difference between a free will system and, and one that isn't. doesn't sound like freedom to me. Well, yeah, well, but then the, the, the question is, is there, is there another coherent notion of freedom? That, and and the, the compatibilist obviously worries very much about whether there is even conceptually a coherent notion of freedom that's not compatible, because the incompatibilist notion of freedom... Is, is difficult to understand as well. It's very difficult to understand because you're, there you're saying, I'm free to do A or B, and it's completely independent of determinants. Uh, or, well, you, again, there, 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 there's lots to say here. But in the end, I think it comes down to that. There, there is at least an element of a free choice uh, which is completely in, independent of, of determinants. Uh, and why is that free? If it has nothing to do with what I'm about, my beliefs, my desires, what I think is right, what I think is the moral thing to do, but in the end, it's, and that's what compatibilists then always say, if it's chance whether I commit the crime or not, that, that makes me free. Well, doesn't that seem incredibly unjust if I have to go to jail just because it was chance that I would do it, and by chance I might not have done it? 
I think you can think that ultimately people don't have responsibility for their actions, but that it's socially useful to behave as if they did. Right. <laughs> because that shapes their actions. In that case, you've given... If you have punishment, yeah, yeah. it shapes... But you've, you've, given, you've given up on, on uh, any... You say there is no comprehensible notion of freedom. But that's, you know, that, that seems um, a drastic step to take, the compassionist probably would say, uh, because um, we have a, a good way of... A relatively good way of, exp of explaining our practices by just going for the inevitability stuff, and just because we can't make sense of the bigger metaphysical thing, why should we then just throw it all overboard and say oh, it's just a social institution and it doesn't really exist? If we can make sense of the practices by keeping quite a, quite quite a bit of the original idea alive, we, we we take everything out of the original idea that's worth having that that we can make sense of and just chuck away the stuff uh, which doesn't make any sense. The problem about traditional free will is that uh, it doesn't follow from one's previous character if it just uh, uh, emerges. Yeah, yes, exactly. It, it just has nothing. In a way, why is it our free will? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's um, thank Till again. Thank you very much. This production is copyright, the University of Edinburgh.